Hi and welcome to The Inner Work, the podcast with me, Steve Barker. Let's explore and unpack the inner workings of our subconscious and conscious minds, where we will dive deep into our inner world, where we will create space by giving ourselves permission to press the pause button on life. Let's share this journey together as we discover what makes us tick, seeking out new perspective, insights and strategies that will make our lives easier and our relationships even more meaningful and fulfilling. Join me now as we journey through the amazing world of human behavior. Let's bring some curiosity, wonderment, and a massive dose of fun and unlock our hidden potential for exploring this inner work. Hey, good day, everybody. Welcome to the Inner Work, the podcast with me, Steve Barker. Today, I'm joined by uh, Air Command Warrant Officer, Warrant Officer Ken Robertson, OAM, who has gladly accepted an invitation to jump on and talk about all things leadership. Good day, Ken. How are you? Hey, Steve. Uh, good to catch up with you again, mate. Thank you so much for having me on. It sure is. Thanks very much for offering your time and coming to join us. So do you want to just share a little bit with the listeners about who you are and the position that you hold and, um, and, and how you got to be where you are? It's an interesting story. Oh, thanks, Mike. Uh, yeah, so I'm the uh, the Air Command Warrant Officer in the in the Royal Australian Air Force. So, so simply put, I'm the Senior Enlisted Leader uh, for Air Command, and Air Command is comprised of uh, six force element groups, uh, which makes up approximately three quarters of the uh, total Air Force uh, force in being. So, uh, if you think uh, Air Force is approximately about fourteen and a half thousand people. Uh, the Air Commander, under his remit, has approximately around uh, three quarters of that force uh, to be able to practically apply air power on behalf of the Chief of Air Force and uh, Chief of Joint Operations. So I'm his uh, senior enlisted leader, um, practically applying his command intent, I suppose, for uh, lack of a better term. So, yeah, very, uh, um, uh, very privileged role for me. Uh, came up through... I joined in 1995. Came uh, joined as a a, a a clerk. So that is now called a personnel capability specialist. And uh, from there, I uh, became a military skills instructor, uh, remustered to a warrant officer disciplinary, and then from there, I managed to uh, um, work my uh, be selected for certain exec executive warrant officer positions since. So. Been very privileged to uh, uh, to be part of this organisation for nearly 26 years, and now I find myself in Air Command. So, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm I'm quite privileged, mate. Awesome. No, that's that's great. So you've you've served about as long as I did. I did 26 and a half years in the Royal Air Force, and yeah. um, if you remember back in 2012, I came over across on Exercise Long Look, um, which is an exchange program that the Australians and the the, the, the Pommies have. And um, I was lucky enough to be uh, detached to one RTU, one recruit training unit at uh, RF base Wagga Wagga. And that's where we first met. And um, yeah, I've been a great admirer of yours from that moment because uh, I saw you in front of me. You were what I would regard as the epitome of a leader. You were um, leading by example. You were fair. 
and um, you, you you spoke well and shared the the intent extremely well with, with those around you. So um, you know it's been a privilege to be able to stay in contact with you, and uh, now to have you on on my podcast is is for me an absolute honour. So if it's okay with you, I've got a few questions, and we're gonna like I say we're gonna be talking about all things leadership. Um, when did you first encounter leadership, Ken? What what how did it pop up for you? I suppose uh, it really started for me in the um, the Air Force cadets. So I was um, 14 years old and uh, I really needed a little a bit of direction in my life. I had, uh, I was into really big into sport and whatnot, but that just wasn't filling a void. And I'd always had a uh, an inkling towards military at a young age. And so uh, my parents introduced me to uh, Air Training Corps, which was called back then. And uh, my first taste of leadership was actually from a 16-year-old a cadet warrant officer. And, uh, and I'll tell you, he, uh, he, he ruled by, more than, uh, by, <laughs> by fear more than <laughs> respect, which I think uh, which, which, got me, uh, which got me on the, on the, on the straight path uh, really quickly. But uh, I've worked out um, over the years is that that was the culture uh, back then in the in the in the uh, mid to late eighties, that um, it was more an, an "I speak, you listen, you do" mm-hmm. than a than an environment, a military environment, which we see exist today, which is you know of uh, really whilst there is a a chain of command and and you still will you know uh, at the at the bottom end of it, you still will follow orders when uh, uh, when told to do so, but it's more. I won't say collaboration, but I'll say uh, more of an inclusive process of leadership these days where, you know, uh, taking the best elements of, of, uh, of the team and then uh, and, and the leader utilising those elements of the team, the best attributes of that team, and then uh, getting him to understand the why about, uh, about why things are being done. So to answer your question, Cadets was the, the first exposure uh, of leadership for me uh, and uh, and then when I got to one recruit training it as a recruit I, uh, I'd, I'd, because I'd done cadets I'd had I, I think I was um, uh, I think I had some little <laughs> experience I thought oh yeah well it can't be much worse than cadets and then I got to cadets and I was very I got to one RTU and I was very lucky to have some excellent instructors uh, two, two of which are actually still in the organisation today and, and uh, they had uh, for me empathy uh, and sympathy, which uh, are two traits of leadership, which I, um, I I like to consider to, in my foundation of leadership. So, cadets and one RTU, I think, was the mm-hmm. uh, uh, my experience of leadership, which, as you know, uh, uh, can become a, can be quite <laughs> a short for the system, but it uh, it goes to show, like your time at one RTU when we were serving alongside each other, you know, you can't not influence, and so I still remember those experiences from nearly 26 years ago now and uh it's important that uh and like when we were there at one rtu uh it was important to uh to explain to our instructors that you know when you're having a bad day that might be just that day which someone remembers 26 yep. years time so 100%. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you when you when you got the future of the air force in your hands you can't have a bad day there are no bad days you just Absolutely. have to, you have to no, well, push for I mean, it. That's, the one thing I that's one of the things I learned from you, mate. I mean, you're, I know in the RAF, uh, you guys were uh, a really 
uh, had a high output, uh, much, much, much higher than what we did in 2012. But um, I remember speaking to you about um, those, you know, that it doesn't matter how busy you are, you have to be uh, available for your recruits and your, and your trainees and your people at, yeah. you know, all, all, the, all day. And it's less about the me and more about the we. Yes. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. No, it's uh, turn the M, turn the M upside a, down and turn it into a W. It's we. There's a team yeah, here. Absolutely. And I mean, it was it was really good having you at RTU in 12, 2012, because the experiences, you know, when you speak to our instructors, when uh, you know they were thinking they were having a hard a hard time of it with, I think I think we had 13 courses that year. I think maybe 14 mm. at the moment, and then uh, you know. <laughs> You're telling us that you know your experience is punching them out every two weeks in the yeah, RAF. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You think you've got it hard. Uh, someone else has got it harder. Someone else. So, yeah, those experiences yeah. were there. Oh, we, I think we've got a similar introduction to um to, to leadership as well. I was an air cadet, and um, but I had a, a CO um who was very forward thinking, very inclusive. Um, wanted to get the best for his 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 team um, and organise a lot of expeditions and stuff like that. Um, but I hear what you're saying about the autocratic style of leadership that that you do and I you 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 tell I do um, type of leadership. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's old school. It's what I now refer to as industrial style leadership, <laughs> which is sort of like um, yeah, I'm 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 the manager or I'm the supervisor and I'm in charge and you'll do as you're told. Um, yeah, absolutely i think those type of people that you're saying about your your old ceo though back then i think we we found those people to be really strange like oh that guy's you know really <laughs> really left field and when you think about it now i just think they were ahead of their time yeah um, yeah 100%. perspective i mean we just used to follow orders blindly and just didn't even question it and just hope that uh that our leadership had our best intentions at heart which you know sometimes <laughs> wasn't always the case right yeah yeah. And then, you know, moving into what we now I, I call command leadership, which is that ability to be able to give a dis, give an instruction or give a direction and mm. allow the team to come up with a way forward um, to be able to listen to them, engage with them, to understand them, to, you know, take on board some of their ideas and apply them. It's, it's, it's more of a team concept now. Um, I mean, we refer to it. Uh, it's exactly the same as what we refer to as mission command. And so, mm-hmm giving command intent uh, uh, and then more importantly uh, the trust and uh, trust and verification process which comes from that intent so giving the command intent uh, allowing uh, the uh, subunit commanders and uh, senior enlisted to be able to practically apply that intent but it's also important for command to be able to trust and verify especially in a such a geographically displaced organization where we have command change, which might, you know, be in all sorts of different uh, states and territories across Australia, as it would have been in the UK and even internationally, is that you know give the command intent, but then trust and verify uh, with the uh, subordinate commanders as to whether they are actually meeting uh, that intent, and then allowing them the opportunity to actually decipher and to be able to uh, to practically apply it in their own way instead of. Yeah. The commander's just deciding, well, you must do it like this. Well, mm-hmm. I think that's really narrowing uh, your the the abilities of our workforce because, geez, we have some really 
I mean, the RAF's the same. Uh, we have some really smart people in our organisation, and yeah. uh, me, me as the as the command warrant officer, trying to, you know, trying to uh, advise people, hey, you you need to do it like this because that's the way the commander would have it. Uh, that doesn't that actually treats people, uh, um, uh, you know, it doesn't fully utilise people's, uh, um, um, you know academic rigor and mm. mental fortitude as much as uh, as as we could so mm. yeah you're exactly right mate what command intent mission command mm. you know command leadership it's exactly right yeah it's done i feel that if you don't allow people to express themselves and to mm. try things um even even if they are going to be you know possibly not successful you stunt mm. people you you re reduce mm. the amount of vulnerability that's available there and that then leads mm. to a lack of connection and a bare minimum mindset so you know, I, I, mean, some of the, I mean you'd remember some of the best uh, lessons that we learned as as troops or as lacs i, I still refer to lac as the the best rank in air force for me anyway I, I had a great time as an lac but some of the best things that uh, i learned real early in my career was because my NCOs kind of said, right, you know what, I'm going to let him go here. And uh, I, probably, I probably think, I, I reckon he'll make a mistake here, but unless it's going to uh, be of a, a, a safety critical or going to be um, affecting <laughs> Robbo's health, <laughs> I'm just going to let him go here and see how he goes. And, yeah. and some, of the best, uh, some of the best lessons I learned in the military real early was because I... I just trucked ahead without it, without consulting with people, without uh, checking and verifying with my NCOs, and I just trucked on thinking, well, no boats, and I didn't know boats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's those valuable lessons, and I think those are the things, if we allow, as, as a leader, if we allow mistakes to happen, if, mm. as, like you say, as long as nobody's going to die or mm. there's not a safety implication, um, mm. then just allow people to to have those those hands-on lessons. And that's kind mm. of what I do in my trainings now with the, you know, mm. moving from the military into the civilian world is I provide them with the opportunity to play games and to problem solve in a safe environment. And mm. um, it's such a valuable, um, I, I call it a playground because it almost is a playground. It's almost, it's such a valuable place to be able to play safely to test and adjust and to make mistakes and then get it right in the real world where it really matters. Absolutely. And I've seen some of those uh, videos you put up on your website and of those uh, activities you do. And it's taken me back to my corporal promotion courses when you're exactly right. You had this safe environment to be able to make mistakes and to be, and putting people in a psychological safe place where we can say, well, here's, here's your instructions. Here's what you need to do. Uh, here's what you need to achieve in a, in a certain period of time. Uh, let's let's crack on and mm -hmm. i remember some of the some of the exercises that we used to do in a <laughs> corporate promotion course where there was just no way that the you were given enough time to be able to achieve the task but they just wanted to see hey look how how, how did you um how did you take that how did you how is your resilience in being able to be put under a time pressure or constraint did you ask for more time you know that's the first that's thing right that comes yep. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we only had five minutes. Well, did you ask for more time? Uh, yeah, no, we didn't. And so, yeah. there's that communication piece you were talking about before. Uh -huh. about yeah, an assumption being the mother of all mess ups. <laughs> yeah, we assume there isn't enough time. Well, you didn't ask, so uh... <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely beautiful. So, 
Earlier on, you mentioned about sympathy and compassion and you believing mm-hmm. that that was a foundational element of being a leader. One of the questions mm-hmm. I've got is, what do you believe are the foundational skills or the foundational mm-hmm. um, building blocks for a leader? Okay. Um, I'll, I'll give you mine anyway. And, uh, you know, uh, they're certainly uh, not copyrighted to Ken Robertson. And it's certainly just from my experiences over the last 26 years and doing a lot of reading on the on the subject, I suppose, but it's it's four traits I'll, I'll probably stick to there, Steve, and it's be, to be uh, humble, uh, relevant, uh, engaged, and professional. And so, humility, I think, is the most important uh, part of leadership. And and why I say that is because nothing will get in the way of uh, us uh, creating professional working relationships as well as personal ones, for that matter. Uh, than your own ego, and certainly mm-hmm. uh, in my younger years on the on the sporting field, um, it, that got in the way of of where I needed to be uh, both as a person and professionally. And and, w- and I was really lucky to have some some uh, some mentors turn around and say, "Hey, you know what, Robbie? Like, you're a real good bloke off the field, but on the field, you're a bit of a uh, you know insert expletive." And uh, <laughs> it, it really took some close friends of mine, both civilian and military, to to say that and that kind of really stuck with me. And then I worked out from there is that, you know, if, as soon as you park your ego to the side, now ego is not, not always a bad thing. Ego will get you to where you need to be from a self pride perspective. It'll drive you. It's the thing that gets you up at five in the morning to go have a quick workout or to, to, uh, to get up and study or to, to make time that, that will get you somewhere. But in the, in relation to those working relationships, Parking your ego to the side and listening to people, yeah. uh, and and taking that is just something which I think in leadership is is very much understated. And mm-hmm. being a being a good human first and foremost, that will generally uh, that's why I try and keep rem, uh, reminding myself if I can be a good human, that'll keep my ego in check, which will then mean that I listen, which then means I appreciate a person's perspective other than my own. So. Uh, that's, that's a really good term of phrase. I like that yeah. to, to be a, yeah. a decent human number one. And then that all the ripple effects from that yeah. onwards. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. I love that. Well, I'll tell you what, mate, I've learned it for the hard way, but uh, it, it is, it is um, certainly something which I've taken uh, on board uh, personally over the years. Uh, stay relevant. Um, you know, and I, and I, I'll only, uh, I'll stick to the, uh, my military experiences here, but we've all had uh, leaders in, in our, in our uh, in the military, which uh, don't haven't stayed relevant with not only what's going on within our own organisation, but in the outside world. And I, I see the military sometimes as being as, as a bubble, uh, and uh, sometimes we can exist within the bubble without having to know too much about what's going on the outside. And and once you be, come to a position of leadership, and I suppose this would uh, be the same in your in civilian organisations that you would work with. So as soon as you lose relevance with your workforce your message just becomes one of those or in one ear out the other because yeah. you're not, you know, and I mean, it's as simple as the social media. I mean, uh, you know, in my experience anyway, uh, my use of social media has allowed me to remain relevant with uh, the junior workforce in relation to how they communicate. And so, you know, having an understanding about what's going on across the organization too not only in my own service but with the army and the navy and uh, having understanding what their pressures are is something which could also i suppose be 
relevant in the civilian world in that having an understanding of not only your competitors but your customers and understanding the workplace um, pressures that they have as well as the uh, you know, economic pressures and whatnot would be um, something which I think if you stay relevant in that regard, you become more approachable. And, and with leadership, I think uh, being approachable is a very uh, um, is something that you need to maintain or you just become that yeah. aloof person in the office. Um, the number of times I've, yeah. I've spoken to leaders and they say, you know, I've got an open door policy. And I'm like, cool, how do you manage to get any work done? And they say, oh, well, I don't, I don't get bothered that much. And I'm like, well, you don't have an open door policy then. Because if you had an open door policy, you wouldn't be able to get anything done. You'd have to put a notice on your door saying, you know, closed door policy at the moment. <laughs> it's a bit of a throwaway line, isn't it, when people say that? I always, my recommendation to my commanders I've worked with over the years, uh, I used to, uh, Billy was, uh, Billy Merckx was a, mm -hmm. a prime example. Uh, I remember Billy saying to the staff in 2012 when he first started, he goes, look, I have an open door policy. And I, I cringed a little. And I remember having a discussion with him afterwards. I said, oh, look, sir, you've got to be careful about that. Because when you say as a commanding officer or as a, as a top manager that your door is always open, sometimes you're actually, um, you're actually disempowering your your middle managers and your, and your senior NCOs and your junior officers to be able to actually take on board and, and actually, um, you know, be able to solve problems on your behalf because that's what they're employed to do, yeah. right? Yep. And so I'm always uh, hesitant to advise and say, my door's always open because like you said, unless you have people there all the time, you're probably not doing the job. But uh, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting, uh, interesting uh, idea. And it is a throwaway line, which is used, I think, to make people feel more comfortable or more, you know, thinking that uh, they can become more relevant. But yeah, you, you're only really adding to your own work and disempowering your, your workforce by saying it. Um, yeah. uh, what's my third point? Humble, relevant, engaged. Uh, so engaged with your workforce. I think COVID-19 uh, produced, a, uh, a, uh, you know, the goodness to come out of COVID if there isn't such a thing. But the, I suppose the lessons learned is a better term, is that, um, with your workforce uh, pre-COVID, most of the time they were in the workplace, and so, and as you know, as a as a senior NCO mate, in your previous uh, previous life, um, you know, when you've got your troops there, you can keep an eye on them, and you can actually understand what they're going through. You can sit down and talk to them, and you can say, "Hey, how's things?" And you can pick up really quickly yeah. if something's going wrong with them. But with COVID, a lot of working from home and working from a remote location that's made that really hard and so what i've used uh, or what i've really been uh, uh, promoting amongst the air command senior enlisted is to remain engaged and, and going back to that relevance piece too is how do you stay engaged so this forum that we're using right now i mean zoom uh, that was used i think the shares went up in zoom really quickly at the start of covid uh, because people was going well how do i stay engaged with my people how do i actually uh, um, how do I make sure that they're doing okay? Because as soon as we assume that they're doing okay, uh, there's a strong likelihood that one or two of them aren't. And yep. so staying engaged with your workforce from a leadership perspective is something I think that, you know, uh, lead, you know, workforces will work out really quickly whether you care about them, mm -hmm. uh, depending on the amount of time you spend to engage with them. Yeah, and, some, uh, of the, some of the highly high functioning teams that I'm operating with at the moment as a, as a mentor and a, a leadership coach, when COVID yeah. struck, one of the things that they started to bomb board very quickly was we need to maintain connection with our, our team. We need to maintain um, 
you know, that, that welfare connection as well. Um, so they were having Zoom calls two or three times a day. Then mm-hmm. one of them engaged with me and says, we need to do some, some, we need to do even more training than we did in the, the previous months yeah. because we need, we need our staff engaged. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, we did all sorts of different trainings, um, mm-hmm. you know, and things like that. So yeah, you, you're hundred percent the, the high, high effective, the high, um, operating to high tempo teams um engagement is super critical because mm. it works both ways as a leader you need to know that your, your people are okay but also your people need to know that you're still there you give a shit and um you're all in in the same fight together yeah i don't think i could have put it more uh eloquently than that mate absolutely and because and it's leadership by walking around also uh, i mean covid's made it a lot harder but you know some of the um um, so for example, uh, the air commander at the moment, uh, Air Vice Marshal Abasi, he's really big on that command team uh, visits. So getting out as much as we can and walking the ground and saying, hey, how are you and, and what's going on? And Because you can only, you can go by reports, you can go by Zoom meetings, you can go by text messages, that's okay. And and in this environment, uh, you know, uh, it, it's uh, had to be, it's had to be that way, but where you can get out of your office, make time during your day to go see your people and engage with them. Because I tell you, they, they, all of a sudden, you know, they may not openly say it to you, but they really do appreciate it because mm-hmm. you're going out of your way. As the, because time is, a, time is an investment. I've heard you say it many times. Yeah. Time, we've only got so much of it. And if you put a certain amount of time aside for your workforce, that is an investment. Mm-hmm. and investment in yeah. both uh, both them and uh, your own leadership. So, yeah. yeah. You, one of the lessons... Yeah. yeah, one of the lessons... I, I, I got that when I came back from Long Look after working with you guys. Yeah, so yeah. I'd been working with a squadron leader, Jan de Vry, absolutely legend of a man, and a DSC yeah. called uh, Daff Evans, uh, Daff, Daff Evans, Daff Jones. Um, and uh, they, were, they were both really good leaders. And... Um, at the RTS, the Retreat Training Squadron in the UK where I worked, the execs were on the first floor and um, the instructors, the, the DISIPs were down on, on, the, on the bottom floor. And um, these guys used to come down and walk the corridor. I used to call it the corridor of power because that's where all, all, the, all the trainers lived. Um, and I remember we were in the middle of a, a real poor, some, something was kicking off. I can't go into it in great detail, you know. Um, but... Uh, I remember Jan, the, the squadron leader, walked in and we went, are you all right, boys? And I just said to him, boss, we're in the middle of something, really can't talk right now. And he went, cool. He said, How? "He says, I'll tell you what, I'll make you all a cup of tea. Where's your brew list? And I gave him the brew list and he went off and made us a cup of tea. And mm. um, from that point onwards, he then got all the rest of the intakes to put their brew lists up and he would make them cups of tea. That compared to the, the leadership that I came back to, because there was a change of leadership whilst I was away on Long Look, um, these guys just sat up in their offices. We never saw them. I didn't even know who the squadron leader was for the first three weeks after I got back. And I just, I, for me, that what you just said about walking the ground mm. is super critical for any leaders out there. Get down, get amongst your troops, get, get to understand who they are, know them as people, mm. see them as people. So, yeah, yeah super critical. Absolutely, mate. I mean, that's a really good example you give your squadron leader. But I mean, a lot of your listeners would be uh, civilians. So, I mean, there's no difference. Uh, your uh, no. senior NCO, the middle managers, uh, squadron leader is your like your, your top level manager. So, there's no difference. It's just that we have a 
a military, as you know, is just more of a formal structure around it. Yeah. Uh, it's no different in the civilian world. I mean, you can have your top level uh, execs, uh, you know, on the top floor that may not even know who the janitor is that works in the same building. And yeah. it's those, so it's those little relationships that really, you know, some, and in the military, we really need to work on it because we, in this, in this world now, uh, a lot of the technical um, jobs that we have in categories and musterings we have, they could leave the uh, defense and earn more on the outside. So, you know, there's a reason why they serve. And if you create an environment where they feel that they are valued and that they are contributing towards a greater cause and that you actually really um, value what they bring to the team and to the military and you recognise that, that will uh, keep them in uniform more times than not. And so, yep. you know, and you have all seen it, uh, you know, and uh, I don't know, your experience uh, coming out to, to Australia, there was just a pivot point where you said, you know what, I'm just not, you know, this, this is where I want to be, this is what I want to do. And, mm-hmm. you know... Um, we've all been exposed at some point or another at a leadership which doesn't feel engaged and, and you don't feel engaged. And it is very, uh, you feel alone uh, because, you know, all of a sudden your leadership's not conversing with you on a regular basis. And, and uh, you know, um, getting out and walking the ground actually gives you, the, the boss and I can walk into a unit and we can work out in the first five minutes just by the feel of the unit how we go around talking to people whether morale is good or mm-hmm. not. That's hard to. That's really hard to ascertain at a Zoom call, mate. Yeah, you can't get that from Zoom, <laughs> and you certainly don't get it from written briefings. Mm-hmm. Mate, you hit the nail on the head. Hey, look, my last point there on that question, mate, is uh, to remain professional. And you know, we all have uh, elements of our uh, organisation, both in military and civilian, where we have people which aren't really adhering to our values. Now, we're not, you know, military is, is not alone in relation to, and certainly Air Force isn't in regards to our values. We've just recently uh, in the ADF uh, come, um, uh, come up with a, a tri-service set of values. Uh, so service, uh, courage, respect, integrity, and excellence. And unfortunately, we have some people within you know, military who don't ad- adhere to uh, those values. and. Unfortunately, if a chain of command doesn't deal with that or a management doesn't deal with that, it's actually keeping someone uh, adhering, or sorry, should I say a better word than that, my apologies, Um, putting up with bad behaviour in any organisation with a military civilian will actually probably send a wider message to your workforce that that behaviour is accepted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, remaining professional and holding the line and ensuring that your people know their left and rights of arc in regards to required behaviours. And that's just, that's not just from a military perspective. I mean, no. you, can go to, you can go to any organisation in Australia, a small business uh, like, a, like a McDonald's to a, uh, to a fish and chip shop, to a to BHP Billiton. I mean, what are you as a leader willing to accept from a member, a person's values? Yeah. And, and if you're willing to accept poor values and poor behaviour, well, then that ripples through the organisation uh, and sets a really poor culture. And as you know, culture is the heartbeat of your organisation. And, and if you're not professional, that's what leads to the degradation of uh, that culture. Now, you would have known that I've kind of steered away from the word discipline uh, because it's like, it's still an important word and I, and I do use it from time to time, but I'd actually rather use these days uh, a positive workforce culture. And mm-hmm. because if you have a positive workforce culture, 
that workforce will monitor the culture itself. And, you know, you'll have everyone at different levels really saying, look, you know what, you know what, mate, that behavior is not what we expect in our organization. We're going to yep. hold you to account for it. Yep. And, um, you know, yeah, the standard that you're willing to walk past is a standard you're willing to accept. And if you don't nip it in the bud, like you say, then you turn a blind eye and somebody mm. might turn up at work five minutes late, then it's 10 minutes late, then it's 20 minutes late. And then when you do pull them up, they'll say, well, what was the problem? You know, you didn't call yep. me out. And then other people look at you and they like, well, this isn't very good. Where do we stand? Where's the boundaries? Where's the, you know, and yeah, the whole culture then starts to, to melt down. People Absolutely. get concerned. And like you say, whether you're keeping staff in, in your room, in your business or uh, troops in uniform, if you've got a strong culture and that culture is something that people want to be part of and are proud of, and they uphold it themselves, then you will, you won't have problems with retention you'll probably have problems with trying to get rid of people, you know, if, when it comes to retirement <laughs> and stuff like yeah, that. Absolutely, because they love the environment, right? They love the culture. They, yeah. You know, you spend, there's some crazy percentage out there. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, please don't quote me on it, but there's a there's a rather large percentage of your life is spent at work. Wouldn't you rather work in a workplace which has a positive workforce culture where you wake up in the morning, you're going, you know what, I actually, yeah, I've got to go to work because I've got to earn money in order to live and to support my family and myself and whatnot and my other interests. But I'd rather, you know, isn't it, isn't it good when you actually go to work and you enjoy it? It's not really work. It's just, you know, part of your yeah. life. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the place that's to be. That's it. Humble, relevant, engaged and professional. So sorry it took so long to explain. <laughs> my, no, uh, no, there was so but, many different yeah. uh things that we can take from that one of the things that i wrote down was feedback being open to feedback you yeah. know one, one of the best lessons i ever got was from my flight sergeant and um, when i was a young sac like similar to your rank lac yeah. and um he said to me right it's time for some feedback young man and i was like oh god here we go again yeah. and um the lesson that i got and i've done another podcast around it so i won't repeat it but um you know it, it taught me that feedback is a gift feedback is a perspective from another human being and if they didn't yeah. care about you they would not be giving you feedback so but isn't it interesting right if if you're given feedback and you know we used to i mean we stay away from it now but i'm about to give you some negative feedback and i just think and the person receiving it just automatically just switches off because they go right well you know it's it's this is bad so i'm going to sit <laughs> down instead of just saying hey look man, i'm going to give you some feedback about how i took that uh, your discussion with me earlier today and you know and it's up to the member receiving about whether they take it in a positive or negative nature but right. you know some of the best piece of advice i got is that if it if you're given some feedback and it hurts a little there's probably a real bit of an element of truth to it <laughs> yep. and, um, and if it doesn't hurt so much you go okay and you, you say look thank you very much for taking it because per someone giving you feedback has taken the time mm -hmm to give it to you so you know you say look thanks very much and uh, and what i've learned is uh uh you know if it, if i'll throw it over my shoulder and i and, I'm, and i crack on and i hopefully i'll take some lessons learned from yeah. it. Yeah, no it's a really good point cool uh the clock is ticking ken we've got about uh, 15 minutes before you need to bang out for your yeah. meeting so i'm gonna skip yeah, on with yeah. another with, a, with another question so yeah. as a leader how do you develop other leaders yourself or how do you inspire emerging leaders to step up and take the baton of leadership that's a really good point mate and i think it really needs to start with uh training and education and so why i say that 
is and empowerment. So training, education, and empowerment. So when when we do training in the in the in the Royal Australian Air Force, what we try and do is try and really mimic. Uh, you know, really, you know, they have the theory, theoretical side of training and, and, and uh, there's theory behind uh, going about doing our business and there's that practical application of it. Mm-hmm. And I think with leadership is exactly the same in that we're, we're on a journey now in Air Force is that with our promotion courses, a lot of it becoming online is that, hey, with leadership, it's like, well, okay, um, what would you do in this situation? Or what would here's a real life scenario and 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 go through uh, some of the outcomes that might come of it and then how would you actually deal with every single uh, one of those different scenarios? Now in a perfect world, uh, pre-COVID anyway, you'd have one of those training simulators where you know you'd have uh, uh, I know we did it at officers training school there. It was a, it was a wonderful uh, training simulator we had in that you know they'd they'd learn all about the theory about. Uh, you know, uh, leadership and management at a junior officer level, and then we'd throw them into a simulator where we'd have, you know, the, the corporal coming in, uh, you know, uh, who's just uh, experienced a, a death in the family or something similar. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that officer's put on the spot saying, well, how would you manage that? How would you deal with it? And then putting that leadership and management training that they get into practice, it's no use them going off to, uh, uh, going off to training schools within our organisation and coming back to the workforce and then leadership not actually permitting or allowing them to actually solve problems on the floor. Uh, and, you know, so what we've been good at in the past, unfortunately, is to just keep bumping, bumping uh, uh, questions up the chain of command. Instead of the chain of command, especially I think at the sergeant level or the middle management level, about, hey, you know what, Corporal? You you tell me how you'd solve that problem, and that is a, that that's that part that part of empowerment. So we can we can lead, uh, so we can uh, we can teach leadership, we can we can educate leadership, but then it's actually you know putting that in practice in a simulated way, and then when they get out to the workforce, you know reducing that difference between the training of our and the workforce and the actual real life stuff, and saying no, crack on, I, I'm giving you the opportunity here uh, to be able to solve this issue and problem, and, and welcome to uh, welcome to leadership. That's what I, uh, that's what I used to say to the corporals, especially um, um, especially uh, in my previous jobs uh, uh, um, as a warrant officer. It's like, hey, so are you coming to me for the answer? Because I can give you the answer what Ken Robertson would do, but I reckon it'd be more valuable for you if you go away and try and solve that yourself. And then if you come up to a a point where you know you, you you've exhausted all of your options, then come back and see mm-hmm. me because you'll like we were talking about before. You'll learn something from that, and if yeah. you make a mistake, if you make a mistake, you'll learn from it. And guess what? Mm-hmm. You won't do it again. But me giving the answer to a subordinate or someone in the chain of command lower than me, it doesn't actually teach them. So to answer your question, uh, that's where I think. Uh, both in the military and the civilian world, I, I could see some uh, strong parallels there. Is yeah. that it's no, use, it's no use training people, people going off and getting degrees, uh, under, you know, degrees in management, leadership, uh, you know, masters in education, all these different. And then they come into the workforce and say, "Well, no, well, we won't let you do that because you haven't, you know, you haven't got enough time." Yep. Well, hey, yeah. the time's here. Uh, crack on. You're in That's leadership, right. and you know, yeah. and I mean, we're here. It's not. 
we're not cutting you off like you're not a you're not a man or a woman on a lonely island we're, we're here but mm-hmm. how would you do it so that, that's how i go about the answering that yeah. question mate. no that's that's beautiful because that's kind of exactly what i do especially as you described training education and empowerment that's what i do with my mm-hmm. leadership training I, I i i don't just share strategies i give them the understanding behind it why do human behaviors happen the way they do because when we can understand why humans are doing what they're doing then we can start to see patterns develop and then as we start to see the patterns develop that's when we can then start to um interact and and change those patterns of behavior and as a leader when you've got that information when you can decode a human being in front of you or decode what a, a a team of human beings are doing that's when you can then start to um move them and empower them to to change what they're, they're doing and they get benefits from it absolutely i mean you said it before like uh, it's, it's it's interesting that there's so many synergies between uh, leadership in the military and leadership in uh, in the in the uh, civilian sector i mean with you with your training with your courses you know you give the theory behind it you then uh then you uh, you know they'll then you'll simulate it through either uh, you know, games or mm-hmm. these sort of things where they'll go, oh, geez, you know, I've had to make a decision. It's been in a psychological safe space where it doesn't, it's not going to hurt anyone. And then mm-hmm. what you've done is you then empower them after that training to go ahead and do it. Then you've trusted and verified and checked up on them once yep. they've left and done that. So that's the empowerment part, right? Yep. Yep. And uh, yeah, there's so many synergies there that, mm-hmm. um, and, and don't get me wrong, the military doesn't own the, uh, <laughs> It doesn't own the um, you know, expertise on this. We just happen to do it on a, like we said before, a more uh, regular basis and a more structured. Yeah. So we seem to, but don't, don't get me wrong, that sometimes can be a bad thing because we, we start drinking our own Kool Aid thing. Well, we're doing, you know, <laughs> we're doing it the only way it can be yeah. done better. Uh, that well, is not the case. When I got promoted uh, to corporal, I had 20 years of continuous leadership training after that. So yeah. it was just continual development. And I remember when I sat down with my portfolio in front of a, um, a civilian employer and he said, wow, he said, you've got over 20 years worth of leadership training and experience. And I went, uh, yeah, I suppose so. I just didn't see it that way. But um, yeah, yeah, you, it, do, you, do. you just think, oh, OK, then what, you know, all of a sudden, uh, all that all those training courses when we were youngsters that thought that uh, why are we why am I sitting here listening to this stuff? Uh, you know, all of a sudden you're. Um, you're actually practicing it every day and you go, oh, that's why my wife would maybe go do that course. Or that's why my my middle manager said, you know what, take a couple of days off and go do this uh, uh, go do this, this course with Steve Barker at I Am Enough Coaching. And this will give you a little bit of, uh, a little bit of uh, you know, extra insight about how we you know, should be, you know, going about uh, working with each other. Yeah, it's amazing the synergies. <laughs> so one final question, Ken, before we wrap up. Um, if you could go back and mm. have a word with young Ken, you know, at the start of his leadership uh, <laughs> career, what would have, what, what advice would you give to young Ken? Oh, geez. That's a, I, I remember we did talk before the podcast started. You tell me this question was coming up and all the other questions that I, um, that, um, that you said, I thought, Oh, you know what? I, I reckon I could, uh, I reckon I could get, I reckon I know the answer. This one is probably a little bit harder. I'll probably say a couple of things really simple to him because he was a simple type of guy. Uh, <laughs> LAC Robinson. Anyway, I'd say one thing, you can't get fat from eating humble pie. And so uh, if I had learned that uh, real early in my uh, in my career, I probably would have uh, 
really gone about things a lot differently. Uh, I would have uh, I would have thought, well, it's less about um, it's less about you know the the pointed you know the, the the knife hand saying you will do this, you will do that, and you know you will follow me because I'm in this position as opposed to um, you know getting people to understand who you are as a person and and then in getting to uh, uh, to trust you. Uh, I think that would be uh, one of the biggest things I'd uh, I'd, uh, I'd really pass on to him. I'd also say uh, be hard on the behaviour, kind on the human. Um, that that's one thing I'd also say <laughs> because it's not always you know people will make mistakes uh, in in um, in any in any type of work that we do, the military, civilian, and I certainly made plenty of them. I was very fortunate to have some some sergeants and, and warrant officers who, who saw through some of my uh, immaturity, I suppose, at some, uh, <laughs> you know, especially when we added a couple of beers. Uh, you know, yeah, those, um, uh, I hear you. <laughs> you hear me? So, you know, those, I, was, I was really fortunate to have a, uh, uh, some, some, some leadership. So, hey, look, you know what? Um, um, we see through that and uh, we need you to go down this path uh, as opposed to um, uh, the, uh, yeah, the bad way. Yeah. Uh, go down the wrong path. And uh, last but not least, I'll, I'll probably say, uh, you know, uh, look, look, Robo, don't try to boil boil the ocean. Start with a kettle. <laughs> <laughs> like that too. I'm writing yeah. these down. Don't boil the ocean. Yeah, don't boil, don't try to boil the ocean. Just start with a kettle. And so I had all these really big grand plans about what I wanted to do with my life and career. And I really, I instead of, I had this such a and my two eyes were on this strategic end goal about where I wanted to be. And, and unfortunately, right underneath my nose was, uh, you know, a couple of relationships that went to the wayside. There was a, a couple of friendships that, you know, that I really didn't uh, work on harder than I should have. And, you know, and, uh, you know, fortunately for me, I, I, you know, I was able to find that out relatively quickly as, as I went through the ranks and was able to, you know, go back and, and really say to those people, look, I'm sorry that I, um, I'm sorry I didn't pay enough attention as I should have when I was when I was younger, but you know it's amazing. You know, you know, look after that, you know, that sphere of influence that you have at the particular rank level, you know, and 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 try don't try and change the organisation that you work in overnight. Just just really concentrate on that small job and the people that you work with, and then as you progress up that corporate ladder or a chain of command. You know, then you start having a much wider influence, and that's when you can actually start really reaching out and changing uh, behaviours across a, a wide organisation. And it's uh, unfortunately, in my position, I get to do that on behalf of uh, the air commander and I as a team. And uh, yeah, it's 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 been a journey where I've just gone, well, you know, and and still this very day, just trying to be humble about that and yeah. and telling the MEC that you know what, you don't need to uh, achieve <laughs> everything all within the first couple of years. Just you know, take stock. Listen to your uh, listen to your uh, uh, listen to your peers and your mentors and your leadership, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, try to be a good human. And uh, like I said before, if you can be a good human, I'd much rather be remembered as a good human than a good warrant officer. Because generally, if I am a good human, that'll take care of everything else, as you uh, as mm-hmm. you started before. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, advice to uh, young Ken Robertson, mate. Those are beautiful. I love those words. They're they're awesome. You know, don't don't boil the ocean. Just start with a kettle. Be hard on the behaviour, be kind on the human, and you can't yeah. get f- fat from eating humble pie. That's some fantastic advice. Um, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. 
put those quotes out as part of the podcast. So. I'll tell you what, Steve, there's no copyright on it, mate, because I reckon I reckon I've stolen them from somewhere, uh, people on the way that have been really influential in my life, you know, yourself being one of them. Uh, you know, it's just all about those relationships and uh, and how you foster those relationships and how um, and, and how you can, you know, in hard times, uh, if you have fostered those relationships, then you can lean on those people uh, um, instead of making yourself an island uh, by uh, by not embracing uh, yeah. uh, uh, people in their different leadership styles. Mm-hmm. Mm. Ken, it's been an absolute honour to have you on the Inner Work, the podcast. I really do appreciate your time. And I know that you got to zip off quite quickly. So I'm just going to say, Air Command Warrant Officer Ken Robertson, Thank you very much for joining us. And I look forward to uh, possibly doing another one with you in the not too distant future. But for now, thanks very much. It's all right, mate. I can say it's been uh, mutually beneficial. Uh, Just sometimes talking to uh, someone else who's uh, really uh, passionate about leadership and and passionate about really creating a positive workforce culture, uh, uh, you know, regardless of whether you're military or civilian. It kind of invigorates you. Uh, it kind of gets you going. And, you know, mate, you've uh, this podcast that you've got is a, um, a wonderful medium. Uh, I'd really, uh, I'm really going to, um, you'll probably hopefully get a few more subscribers, mate, when it comes out. I'm going to really punch it out to people because um, uh, I think there's, uh, I've, I've been listening to it now for a while. And, uh, you know, you're, you're really hitting on some really good points in relation to how we should, A, treat each other in the workplace and B, how to create a culture and, and to be a good leader yourself, uh, both personally and uh, within a, and working within a wider organisation. So well done to you. Beautiful. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good on you, my friend. Wow, how cool was that? Being able to be joined by the Air Command Warrant Officer for the Royal Australian Air Force, Warrant Officer Ken Robertson, OAM. So it's been wonderful being able to talk to him and to be able to unpack some of the insights that he has around leadership. Now, as leaders, we are all leaders. If we can influence somebody, then we are fulfilling a leadership role. So wherever you are in the world, if you've got any questions around leadership or you want to learn more about leadership, I'm more than happy to have a chat with you and to share some insights and some tips and some experience that I have around leadership. So look, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. It's gone on much longer than the usual ones do, but uh, I'm hoping to be able to get... uh, Ken back again so that we can discuss more things around leadership because uh, I think this this topic has got a lot of legs on it so wherever you in you are in the world thank you very much for joining us and thank you for being part of this very special podcast once again my thanks go out to warrant officer Ken Robertson OAM air command warrant officer thank you very much for joining me all right guys wherever you are in the world whatever it is you're up to stay safe and I will speak to you again soon Terry. Thank you for joining me and taking the time to listen to this episode of The Inner Work, the podcast. I trust you found this enjoyable, interesting and thought-provoking. The next step is to bring your conscious awareness to this new perspective and way of thinking and then apply it to your day-to-day life. As you listen to more Inner Work podcasts and apply them, you will notice subtle yet powerful things changing in your life. If you're already noticing this, I would really encourage you to share these podcasts with your friends and family so that they too may start the journey of the inner work. Please subscribe to these podcasts so that you don't miss out on the next episodes. 
And whatever platform you're listening to them on, please either leave a review or pop onto my Facebook page, I Am Enough Coaching, and share your experiences. Until the next episode, wherever you are in the world, take care and keep doing the inner work. Toodaloo!